Let's pray together. Father, today let this song be fulfilled in our lives. We want to see you, Lord. Open our eyes. We want to see Jesus. Open our ears. Help us to listen, to reach out and touch you and experience your love today, Lord. This is our heart cry. We don't just want to play church. We don't want to mark time. We don't want to fulfill duty. In view of your manifold mercies and love, we want to love you in return. And we just confess we're not very good at it, Lord. But we don't want to be, as Jesus said, like the people who honor you with their lips, but whose hearts are far from you. We know we don't want to be that, Lord. So help us to see you to see the love in your eyes. Because some of us think if we see you, Lord, we're going to see anger. We're going to see venom and vitriol. But Lord, you say that you love us. You so love the world that you gave your only son so that whoever, including us, believes in you, we will not perish, will not die forever, but will have everlasting life. And Lord, we want to receive that promise today. And we are grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And please, please be seated. So as Mark Twain said years ago, it it isn't really what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. This week, we had a great week. Uh, got to go fishing on Monday. I saw Nick got to go fishing too. Where's Nick? Uh, got to go fishing on Monday, and that was, that was good. And then uh, N.T. Wright, whose name I put up on the board last week, that very same N.T. Wright, or Tom as we call him now, um, we met him in person, sat at table with him, had lunch. Joshua got to sit right at his left hand, which was just pretty cool. I was kind of across the table and uh, I was reading one of his commentaries on the Gospel of John. You've been studying the Gospel of John together. And he tells a story about the, the national soccer coach in England, which is like a big kind of almost like government position. And he got fired. And this is why he got fired, because he knew something for sure that wasn't so. He was talking about people who were born with disabilities. And he said, based on his belief in karma, that people who are born with disabilities are being punished for a mistake they made in a previous life. And they, they just fired him for that. That sounds like something a person would get fired for, right? I mean, who would think something like that? But sometimes we've been so sure for so long that we're so right about something that if the truth hit us in the face, we wouldn't believe it. Because we're convinced that we're right. And I wonder if it wouldn't be good for us this morning. Maybe it would be good for us to think again about what we think we know about God. Would you open your Bibles with me this morning? Gospel of John chapter 9. One of my favorite passages in the world. The good thing about teaching John is I love I love every part, teaching every part of it, and particularly this story 
about the blind man has captivated me literally for for decades in my life. And so I'm glad I get to share this word with you. But just to show you, we're in a series and we're trying to hear God's calling to Christ. We've just got a few more weeks and then we'll start thinking about being called to community. But being called to Christ is a call to know Him. Let me show you this in God's Word. Would you stand with me? In reverence for our God who speaks to us when we read His Word. John chapter 9, verse 1. I'm just going to read the first 12 verses. It's a 41-verse story. I'm not going to read all the verses. I'll read the first 12 and I'm going to read the last 7 verses. Particularly the man's encounter with Jesus. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth... His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, period. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. After saying this, He spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. So go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. I don't know. He said, then picking up in verse 35, there's a series of interrogations. The neighbors drag him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees don't believe that he was blind, so they get his parents involved, and they say that he was blind. Then the Pharisees interrogate him again, and then they kick him out of the synagogue for being healed on a Sabbath and believing that Jesus had miraculous power. And we pick up the story in verse 36. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You've now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And He worshipped Him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who, who were with Him heard Him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. You ever seen a miracle? I remember that book um, by Nicholas Sparks, one of his great love stories. I think it was one of the first ones we ever that I was ever aware of, A Walk to Remember. Remember that? We made it into a movie. 
and there's a girl and she's in high school and she's a, a person of faith and she has leukemia and there's a sort of wayward boy. He's kind of the popular guy, but he's a rebel without a cause and he's always getting in trouble. And it's a, an amazing kind of story because the girl has a wish list before she dies. There's some things she wants to happen in her life. First of all, she wants to be in two places at one time. That's an interesting wish, isn't it? She would also like to fall in love and get married. And she wants to see a miracle. Have you ever seen a miracle? This story is an amazing story because the first thing it says is that Jesus saw the man who was born blind. Jesus saw him. I'm sure lots of people walk by every day and didn't even notice him. But Jesus noticed him, and a dialogue starts with the disciples. And what I notice in this passage, this time around studying it, is how many people think they know something that don't really know something. And on the other hand, the two first times this guy speaks, the blind man, he says, I don't know. He says it first when they say, where is Jesus? And then he says it again in verse 25 when they tell him Jesus is a sinner. He says, I don't know. I don't know. So he doesn't know, but it turns out he knows more than than he did at the beginning as he continues to grow. And what we see is in this series of seven scenes, if you think of it like a drama, and I hope you'll take time to read it this week for yourself, that there are always two characters on stage. So the first thing we see is the disciples and Jesus, and then we see Jesus and the blind man, and then we see the blind man and his neighbors, and then we see the blind man and the Pharisees, then we see the Pharisees and the blind man's parents, and then we see the blind man and the Pharisees again, and then we just see Jesus and the blind man. But Jesus sees him, and he also sees the Pharisees with great acuity. Jesus sees these people clearly. And what he sees is the blind man is on an upward trajectory, and he can't see, but he becomes physically sighted, so he, he, regains, he gains his vision for the first time. He sees, physically sees, but, but it's bigger than that because he grows in his understanding of who Jesus is from a man to a, a prophet to a godly man to a man who is from God to this final encounter that I read to you, the Son of Man and Lord. And at the same time, while he's on the up escalator, the Pharisees are on the down escalator and the whole time they're saying, we know, we know, we can see. We're not blind. We know, we know. And it turns out they don't know. And when I read this this week, I wondered... What is it that we know for sure about God that just isn't so? And how is that hurting us and other people? And what if knowledge about God is not static? What if you're either going upward or you're going downward? You're either going forward or you're going backward. What if knowledge about God is not about acquisition of information, but about transformation of our lives in ways that empower us to know the one who knows us best and loves us most. It turns out, Mark Twain is right, what we think we know about God but don't really know will hurt us. In fact, it will hurt other people. And in this story of the Gospel of John, we've seen Nicodemus say, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, but he doesn't really believe at first that Jesus is the Messiah. We we see the woman at the well 
Her story is kind of like this story because there's, there's work and there's worship and there's witness in both of these two stories. But she says, we know the Messiah is coming. And Jesus says, I am. I am the Messiah. So this whole story is about, about who, it really is about who you know or who knows you. And the disciples think they know something, don't they? So they say to Jesus when they see the man who was born blind, who sinned? Him or his parents? Now, if you think they're the only ones who believe that, there is a British soccer coach that I mentioned to you earlier. But there's also the Pharisees at the end who when they throw the blind man out, say, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? It's interesting what people think about suffering. And here are the disciples and they have convince themselves that every time somebody has a physical malady it is a result of either their sin or their parents sin and I love Jesus answer to this it's really important when they say so who sinned Jesus says neither in fact I wrote a book about this years ago and as I envisioned this the, the punctuation isn't in the original Greek and you can actually put a period there and Jesus doesn't answer their question about the why but he does say hey so while I'm here and I'm the light of the world we need to be fixing things like this we need to be helping people and that's why I'm in the world and the day is coming when my healing work will finish and my dying work will begin but as long as I'm here let's do the healing work and you join me in this work but but the disciples don't quite understand. And just when you think, well, this is a first century kind of problem, I remember a church that I served years ago, and one of our young couples went to the little town of West, Texas, where they have really good kolaches. And they went to the hospital there, and I went to visit them. They were having a baby, and they lost that baby. And just as in recent days in our congregation, I was overwhelmed with grief with them. I remember my eyes were blurry, walk into my car after however inadequately I tried to bring comfort to them in their deep pain. And I got in my car and I started to drive home. And I realized I was driving by the home of one of our members who was out mowing his yard, Joe Paul. And Joe Paul was a piece of work. I mean, he was a piece of work. But I stopped to let him know because I knew he knew the couple. So I rolled down my window and he saw me and he stopped mowing his yard and he walked over and said, what is it? And I told him about it. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Pastor, we bring these things on ourselves, don't we? And I started to say something, but it wouldn't have been kind. So I rolled up my window and I just drove away because I knew that he was not right about that. Now, that is certainly true that that suffering in general is related to sin in general, that when we fell from the garden, we became susceptible to suffering. But here's where we get in real bad trouble on this, and it hurts not only us but other people, is when we begin to see suffering in particular as related to some particular sin. And Jesus, he doesn't answer. Look, remember Job's friends thought the same thing. Come on, Job, come clean. What'd you do? This is why you're suffering. This is why you lost your children, because you did something wrong. And Job knows that that's not the thing, but he can't convince his friends. And there's just a lot of really bad theology out there on this. And I just want you to see that the disciples are wrong about this. And before they can um, 
comprehend what Jesus is saying, he spits on the ground and makes some mud and he spreads it on the guy's eyes and he sends him to the pool of Siloam and says, go wash off in the pool. And do you ever wonder why Jesus, Mark tells us Jesus did something like that too. Was why did Jesus, couldn't Jesus have just said, be healed? And he would have been healed, right? I mean, just think about it. Well, the God who made us from the dust of the ground can certainly use dirt to, to heal. But I'll, I'll tell you why I think he made the mud. He didn't have to make the mud, but you know why he did? Jesus made the mud so that he could make the Pharisees mad. So that he could provoke the situation which would lead this man not only to be able to see 2020, but ultimately to see and to believe in Jesus. Now, the next group of people is the neighbors, and we pick up their story, and they don't even know their neighbor. Isn't that interesting? This guy has been a blind beggar in their midst. As Cornelius Benema described this man, uh, he not only physically has needs, but socially, spiritually, the Mishnah says he's not allowed to go into the temple. Uh, he is an economic, social, and religious outcast living on the periphery of society, and his neighbors who've walked by him every day, they think because he hasn't been able to see that he can't hear. Isn't that weird? So they're talking about him. It's, it's almost comical, you know. Is that him? I think it kind of looks like him. Does he have a brother? I'm not sure. Wait, watch him. He can't be the same guy because in their minds, there's no way that a person can change. That's part of their problem, and they don't know their neighbor. And this is what I would say about families who have children with special needs. Unless we're in those families, I don't think we really know. We may think we know how difficult life is, but I don't, I don't think we, we really know. But I was reading just yesterday about a dad whose son has autism and, um, in some form, and, and uh, he was looking at a sheet that his son filled out at school, and it was kind of an information sheet on the first day of class, and it said, you know, what is your name? And he wrote Christopher, and what is your favorite food? Pizza, and what is your favorite song? Baby Back, there's probably a song like that somewhere, I don't know, but Baby Back he wrote there. But his dad looked at the sheet and it said, who are your friends? And he wrote, no one. No one. I think that's this man. I don't think he has a friend in the world. And so here he is suffering and he's got neighbors and they don't really know who he is. And when they find out, and I love what he says because he's the only one in the Gospel of John besides Jesus who says, I am. He's the only one. And when they're arguing about him, what he says literally in Greek is, ego I me. If you're wondering if I am, I am. I am. Same Jesus who, who will say in this same gospel, I am the bread of life. The same one who says in chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He says it again here, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He'll say in chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life. I'm the door for the sheep. In chapter 11, I'm the resurrection of the life. In chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. That same Jesus has sent him to the pool of Siloam, and the pool of Siloam means sent, and some of you, I think Jemima was just in Israel, and the pool of Siloam is right there, and it's called sent because the water is sent from the Gaian Spring through Hezekiah's tunnel, 589 yards, like six football fields. It's sent, the water is sent into the city, and it collects in that pool, and it's the place where they had the Feast of Tabernacles, and they pulled the water out in pitchers, and that's the place where Jesus sends him, but, sends him. but we've been reading about Jesus in this gospel, and one thing we know about Jesus from chapter 3, 
3, 5, 6, 8 is Jesus is the one who has been sent from the Father and now this man is sent and he goes. But when he comes back, Jesus is not there. But his neighbors are. And the minute they realize he is who he is, they say, how'd this happen? They're not good neighbors. They only don't know him, but when they figure out that, that Jesus did work on the Sabbath by making mud. They drag the newly healed man to the Pharisees to tell on Jesus. That's what this story is. Because the Pharisees, they're not right, but they're convinced they're right. It's interesting, the word for no in this, there are two Greek words for no. There's gnosko and there's oida. Oida comes from the word that means to see. And, and, and John uses both those words a lot, but in this story, he only uses the word oida. So some people say they can't see. The blind man says, I don't know, I don't know. And the Pharisees will say again and again, you read it this week, we know, we know Jesus is a sinner We know He's not from God. We don't know where He comes from. We know that God spoke to Moses. We know where Moses is. They know all kinds of things except they don't know anything and they're suspicious of Jesus. And remember when the lame man is healed in chapter 5, they're looking for Jesus and they know Jesus is up to something but they can't figure Him out. They're like that customs agent who works the border and he sees a guy smuggling stuff in and he knows the guy's a smuggler. He just can't figure out what he's smuggling. And the guy comes in in a truck and he starts searching the truck and he doesn't find anything. He says, I know you're smuggling something. I don't know what it is. And he sends the guy through. And the next time he uses sonar, he pulls panels off the truck. He takes the truck apart. He can't find anything. And then the week comes for his retirement. And the guy comes again and he says, I know you're a smuggler, but darned if I know what you're smuggling. And I'm about to retire. I can't hurt you anymore. Would you tell me what you've been smuggling all these years? And the man said, trucks. (laughs) I've been bringing trucks in. The whole time. And what you see in this story is they put the blind man on trial for being healed. But it's really Jesus who's on trial. But if you look closer when Jesus says, I came into the world for judgment, it's really the Pharisees who are on trial. And in this trial, they're trying to figure out what Jesus is doing. Because who would have imagined that God would be smuggled into the world as a baby who grew up to became, become a Galilean carpenter. And they can't figure it out. But they're going to get Jesus. Come what may, they're going to get him. Because they know and they're just sure about what they know. But they don't really know and so they say we don't believe that you were blind it's like calling his parents i have a heart for parents i love our treasures ministry i don't even know how to say even talk about this well i don't even you know if you start trying to talk about disability and special needs you will mess up i guarantee it i know i do but but we still got to talk right and i love this ministry of our church and I, i have a neighbor who has a son with a disability, a son with a special need. His son has grown. I love the way he loves his son. I see him jogging with his son in, in Hershey Park. Yesterday I was walking through the gym at the Mac and his son was trying to do a pull-up and his son couldn't do a pull-up. And the dad got under his son, grabbed his legs and was lifting his son while his son was doing the pull-ups. And suddenly with dad's help, you know, if you get your dad on your side, you can do almost anything, right? And so he's doing pull-ups with his dad helping him. And as I walked by, I thought, so who's got the parents' legs lifting them up right now? Because every day is hard. There got to be days when they say, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. And God gives grace. And through the community of faith, through ministries like Treasures, we get to love. And, and this is so near to the heart of God. But these parents, they're, they're not good guys in this story either. 
Because they know if they admit that they know that Jesus healed their son, they're going to get kicked out of the synagogue. And they would rather stay in the synagogue than identify with their son who has been healed, which is really, really weird. And then I remember uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 27, um, do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior, though my father and mother forsake me. The Lord will receive me. That story becomes this man's story and his parents they 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 pretend they don't know so when they're asked these questions they say we know our son and we know that he was born blind and we know that he can see but we don't know they're asked how he can see and they kind of give away that they have knowledge they say we don't know who gave him sight we don't know who so they know something don't they and so they throw the parents out and then they bring the son back in and they say, okay, look, we know Jesus is a bad man. We know, we know, we know. And this is the problem. Part of the knowledge that we've got to change is the idea that we have that people always stay the same. For all of our talk about salvation, I don't think we believe that God really transforms people's lives. And when we see a person who's really transformed, like they saw the blind man, it's just difficult for us to comprehend you start really changing and getting committed there's no telling how people even your own family will respond i read about a man who was asked by a sunday school class to be the santa claus at the church uh christmas party uh if church christmas parties have santa clauses this one did and so they asked him to be it and he didn't appreciate it because it kind of spoke about his appearance and his age a little bit but he said yes uh, reluctantly and then he kind of groused about it for a while and his wife said oh just do it just be Santa Claus. I mean, how hard can that be? And he said, well, I just hate you know. She said, you know, just put on. And so the night he's putting on the costume, she hears him mumble a prayer, and he says, Lord, help me to be a good Santa Claus. And she goes, okay, you're taking all the fun out of this. You're taking this way too seriously. Just put on the costume. Relax. They go to the party. He gives away everything he owns before the night is over. And his wife is livid. And she says, Nobody expected you to really be Santa Claus. You were just supposed to pretend to be Santa Claus for God's sake, she said. Well, who expects us to really be transformed by the grace of God? Aren't we just playing a game here, just wearing the mask? I mean, nobody's really expecting that your life is going to be turned upside down. You're just given an hour of your week, right? I mean, this is not really, but no, no. Actually, the knowledge we need is not more information. We're educated beyond our level of obedience. What we need is transformation that changes us into the kind of people who can say like the blind man, I don't know, I don't know, but the whole time he's growing and he's coming to know. And when they throw him out, then it says Jesus found him. Don't you love that? Everybody else abandoned him, but Jesus found him. And Jesus says to him, do you believe? And this is the first time. See, the story starts with Jesus seeing the man. Now, I love this. The man sees Jesus. No, he really sees him, but he doesn't know who he is because he didn't see him the first time. He might recognize the voice. Is that the same voice? Who is he? Who is he, sir, that I might believe in him, the Son of Man? Don't make that diminutive. Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7, comes in clouds of glory. Jesus is not being self-deprecating here. He is saying, I'm the one who's going to ride the clouds someday. I'm going to soar on the wings of the wind. Do you believe in me? And the man looks at him and says, Lord, I believe, and he falls on his face. That's the word, and he worships. He worships a man because in that moment he realizes he's not just a man. He's the son of man. 
He is God. And that, well, that changes everything for him. How do we know? How do we know that he really comes to know Christ? Well, he's the only one in the story who'll stand up for Jesus. He stands up for Jesus and speaks up for Jesus. You'll have that opportunity this week. Will we stand up and speak up for him? He, he suffers on behalf of Jesus and he sees Jesus suffering. And this is, this is really powerful because I'm not sure we can ever really come to know Jesus apart from Jesus' suffering. It's why Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, after he's been an apostle for a long time, says, I would really like to know him, Jesus. Wait, Paul, we thought you did know him. No, I want to know him because what I want to know is the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, the partnership of sharing in his sufferings. That's what I want to experience. Tim Keller put me on to a a poem this week uh, by a lady named Lucy Shaw. It's actually a Christmas poem, but this is powerful. It's Mary's song. It's the way Mary felt when she has this baby. Lucy Shaw's poem, I think we have it. Uh, Older than eternity, now he is new. Talking about Jesus. Now native to earth as I am, nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free, blind in my womb, Jesus can't see in the womb, to know my darkness ended, brought to this birth for me to be newborn and for him to see me mended. I must see him torn. That's Mary's story. And I was wondering if this this formerly blind man, the man who, who used to be blind, was standing there looking up at Golgotha and saw Jesus torn. We're healed by his stripes. Maybe not in this lifetime. Paul's, Paul learns with this thorn in the flesh that Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't heal everything every time right now. But the only way any of us is ever healed is by Jesus being torn on the cross. Yeah, he knows Jesus enough to speak up for him and to suffer on his behalf. And he knows Jesus enough to worship him. And I wonder what that worship was like. Mm. I was thinking that movie, A Walk to Remember. And the girl, the girl, played by Mandy Moore, I think, she dies. And the young man goes off to college and he gets his degree and he gets accepted into medical school. Her dad's a preacher. I really like this story. And he comes back and he, and he speaks to her dad, the preacher. And, and her dad, the, the preacher, says, you know, here's a book that she would have wanted you to have. And, and he helped her stand and two places at once on the state line between Virginia and Tennessee in the middle of a street. You can be in Virginia and Tennessee at the same time. And he fell in love with her and he married her before she died. And um, they're talking and Landon, the young man, says, I just wish she would have gotten her miracle, meaning I wish she had been healed. And her father says to Landon, but Landon, don't you see, she did get her miracle because the miracle is you. You were changed. You were transformed from a rebel without a cause to a believer in Jesus Christ. This is the transformation that she, that's the miracle. And maybe the miracle we're looking for is as close as a mirror. Because the minute we come to know Christ, then we know that we are known and we are loved and there is grace. And what do you sing? How do you worship a God who can do something like that? Maybe you sing a song like this, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
was blind, but now I see. Or, or maybe, maybe like some friends of mine, your parents say to you, uh, you, you can't be a follower of Jesus. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you can't be a, a part of our family. And then you look at Jesus and you begin to sing from your heart, you're a good, good father to the one who loves you and will never, ever forsake you. It's who you know. And when we know Jesus... We are healed. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word today. Thank You for the story of one invitation to transformation. And Lord, I pray that today if we hear Your voice, we will not harden our hearts. As You change us, Lord, I pray that we would receive Your grace. That we would let You change us and make us new. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.